Please take a seat. The reading today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 13. That's on page 817 of your pew Bibles. Two Corinthians chapter two, verse five. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Our friends, uh, good evening. My name is Steve. It's really uh, my privilege to be here with you tonight to open uh, God's word and discuss it with you. How about I pray for us? Uh, Heavenly Father, Our hearts are deceitful and still we struggle to long for the things of this world and to live as this world would have us live. Uh, We thank you for your spirit who lives within us and we pray that as we look at your word tonight, your spirit would work powerfully and mightily in our hearts, transforming us that we might be more like our saviour Jesus, that we might be a great witness to you in this world uh, and might love one another uh, as you have taught us to. Amen. There are some things in this world that we do as Christians that really make us stand out uh, amongst the crowd. Some things that really show that we have grasped the gospel, that the gospel has just taken us over. It has infected every part of our life. Things that are so ludicrous or so difficult or in the world's eyes so stupid uh, that they can only be done when the gospel is in our lives. This week I've been reading a book about the men who uh, stood up for truth during the Reformation uh, and were burnt at the stake uh, for their belief in the authority of the Bible. These weren't men who went to the stake kicking and screaming, fearful of the future. They were men who boldly marched to the stake, unashamed of their conviction of what was true, proud, proud to die for their saviour. And their example as they went to their death um, did amazing things both for the believers and for the unbelieving world. This week I listened to the story of uh, a single mother who had three children who was abandoned by uh, the father of their children. She didn't speak any English uh, and a Christian family uh, approached her and said, "Uh, we have a spare room, we'd love you to come and live with us, we'll take care of you. I've been hearing about Christian couples uh, who have houses far bigger than those that they need, who know of other Christians who have lost their house 
uh, in the global financial crisis who have moved into a caravan or a one-bedroom unit in order that those Christian families might have somewhere to live. I've heard of a pastor who wrote a book. It's, it's a best-selling book. Uh, has sold thousands of copies. And he said at the time that this book was published that I will never see a cent of the profit that comes from this book. I want it all to go to charities and to Christian work. Why? If I get lots of money from this book, I'll be forced to trust in my money and rather than God. I've heard of a man who gave away his car to someone who needed it more than he did. I've heard of a Christian family who packed up their three kids, flew to Papua New Guinea and lived in a hut for the sole reason they wanted the people in that village to hear about Jesus. This is amazing stuff. It is, by the world's eyes, stupid behaviour to give up money and family and, and time. But the love of Christ compels these people and the hope of eternal life is their comfort. And so the question that I ask you is, has the gospel really taken root in your life? You know, can you see its transforming power taking over and changing everything about who you are? Is the gospel changing the way that you use your time and the way that you spend your money and the jobs that you apply for and the amount of time that you spend at work and the way that you work and the relationships that you pursue and the way that you treat your husband and your wife, the way you live as a single person, the way you treat that person who is different to you, the way you treat that person at work who makes your life miserable, the things that you buy, the things that you think about, is the gospel transforming you? The gospel, if it takes root in our lives, transforms everything. Nothing goes untouched. And it makes things that were once impossible and behavior that we would never have thought possible in our lives possible. And so tonight, I want us to unpack another behavior that is only made possible here in our community when the gospel has really taken root in our hearts. It's something that should characterize the lives of people here at Church by the Bridge, you and me. And it's forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, we should forgive one another. Now I admit, uh, perhaps to some of you here tonight, forgiveness does not seem like a big deal. Uh, doesn't seem particularly spectacular, let alone impossible. But for those of us here who have been wronged by a brother or sister, who have been deeply hurt, deeply disappointed, you will know what a difficult thing it is to completely forgive. And I dare say that all of us at some stage in our lives will face the difficult situation of being sinned against by a brother or sister and needing to take the hard yards to forgive them. And friends, we can only offer full and complete forgiveness to one another when we understand the gospel and we should forgive one another and we can forgive one another and we must forgive one another. This is what Paul is explaining to the Corinthians here in chapter 2. Uh, Beck read for us a moment ago uh, the start of this, this second chapter. But this scenario that Paul is explaining is really closely related to what he wrote to the Corinthians about in his first letter. Paul wrote to a church that had sin dripping out its eyeballs. No part of their community life or their personal life had been left unaffected by their sin. And the people there on the whole really weren't repentant. People were sinning blatantly and publicly and they didn't care about it. 
and the leaders in the church didn't care about it, and just everyone else in the church didn't care about it. Everyone knew that everyone else was sinning, and no one really cared. And so Paul urges, urged them in his first letter to deal with the sin before it kills the church and before it kills the sinner. And the right response, Paul tells the church, is to put out of their fellowship people who are continually and unrepentantly sinning. In Paul's words, he says, you must expel the wicked man from among you. It's harsh language. It's a harsh response. But its purpose, Paul explains in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 5, is so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and the spirit staved on the day of the Lord. Paul explains, don't associate with these people, don't eat with them, don't have fellowship with them. Why? So they might realize that the way they're living is wrong, get put out of the fellowship and might repent of their sin, ask God for forgiveness and come back into community so their spirit might be saved. And it's encouraging to see in this chapter that the Corinthians did indeed listen to Paul and they put this person out of their fellowship. And it's also encouraging to see that this person uh, repented. Uh, They uh, asked for forgiveness and wanted to come back. What's not so encouraging is that when he tried to return, the church didn't actually want to forgive him. Uh, You really feel for this guy, don't you? You know, he's done something wrong and he's realized the error of his ways. And he comes back and people at the welcome table say, sorry, you're not welcome here today. Uh, Or people ring up their connect leader during the week and they say, if he's going to be at connect group this week, I'm not going to be there. So make sure you tell me first. Uh, (laughs) Others just just slander him behind his back, you know, making sure that he will never forget uh, the bad things that he did in that gathering. And Paul is worried that this man might, uh, if they continue in this behavior, become overwhelmed with sorrow. So Paul gives the church a three-point plan for how they should respond in this situation. Read with me, will you, from verse 7, what Paul says to the church. Now instead, instead of what you've been doing, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. All the three points, forgive, comfort, and reaffirm your love. Forgive, comfort, and then reaffirm your love. Now, you can't help but read this and just think, this is hard. I was thinking this week, why is it that we find it so hard to forgive? Because it is hard to forgive. I'll put my hand up and say, I struggle to forgive. I think there are a number of reasons. One is that if we forgive fully, Uh, We we have to stop bringing it up. We can't keep reminding the other person of the time or the times that they've let us down. We've just got to forgive and let it go. If we we forgive fully, uh, we can't ever say or even think, I will never let you forget how much you hurt me. That isn't part of our vocabulary. If we forgive fully, we have to admit that everything can be forgiven. We can never say, as many in our world would say, what you did was unforgivable. We can never say, you are forgiven by God, but you will never be forgiven by me. If we forgive fully, it's not just a matter of saying words of forgiveness and then ignoring the people. The forgiveness must be followed by a response of comfort and then a reaffirmation of love, a really personal approach 
in response to this person who we've forgiven. But do you know what I think is the biggest problem for me in struggling to forgive? And I dare say it is for many of us here tonight. I struggle to forgive and you struggle to forgive because we fail to understand how much we have been forgiven. And this really is the key to being able to forgive others. Becky's going to come up now and read for us a parable that Jesus tells that explains of the purpose and power of forgiveness. This is from Matthew chapter 18 on page 695. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he owned be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Thanks, Beck. It's a powerful parable, isn't it? And uh, I'm not going to unpack what's going on there. You might like to spend some time meditating on that during the week. But the meaning for us is clear. Uh, We owed our king, our master, a debt that we could not possibly ever hope to repay on our own. I owed and you owed God a death for your sin. That was the only thing that we could do uh, to uh, recompensate God. We didn't owe God an apology. Uh, We didn't owe God a check to cover expenses and lost income. We didn't owe God 50 hours community service. We owed him our very life. That was the debt for your sin and for my sin. And this debt was costly to cancel. Gazing at the cross, we can only see just how much it costs God to cancel our debt. If there was any other way, Jesus asked, is there any other way? God said, no, this is the only way for your sin and for my sin to be forgiven. This is how our debt must be cancelled. And God was willing to do that for you and I. 
Yeah, the cross doesn't show us how lovely we are. We're not lovable bears, just all cuddly and cute. The cross shows us how filthy our sin is and how filthy our lives are and just what it costs God to bring us forgiveness and back into relationship with him. And so when you consider that, and when we consider this parable, how can we not forgive each other? When we don't forgive, we're like that servant in a story whose debt was graciously cancelled, wiped out. But he didn't show the same mercy to those uh, who had sinned against him. The grace that had been shown to him by his master failed to be mirrored in his own relationships. It's just such an ugly picture, isn't it? You look at this servant in this parable and you just think, how can you be so ungracious? Don't you see what a debt uh, was cancelled for you? Can't you see how much you've been forgiven? And that is the warning uh, that we should have from this passage. And Jesus is clear that there is no place in his kingdom for people who have been forgiven much but failed to forgive others. Corrie ten Boom uh, was locked up in a Nazi concentration camp for many years during the war. And her struggle wasn't uh, with forgiveness, wasn't with uh, her uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. It was in fact with those jailers and the people there who had kept her captive. But she said these words about one of her jailers. Jesus died for the sins of this man. Was I going to ask for more? Jesus died for the sins of this man. Was I going to ask for more? And so she prayed, Lord Jesus, help me to forgive him. Perhaps that's a prayer we all need to pray. Finally, I just want us to take a look at this last part of what Paul says about forgiveness uh, to explain and, and make us aware of the spiritual dimension about what is going on when we forgive or when we don't forgive one another. Would you look with me at, uh, at verse 10 of uh, 2 Corinthians 2? Paul says, If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Brothers and sisters, when we fail to forgive one another, it's not a neutral act. Whether you like it or not, or are even aware of it or not, and we're all aware of it uh, from now, Satan is at work in us when we fail to forgive one another. We have been outwitted by Satan when we fail to forgive. Uh, I don't like being tricked by anyone. And least of all, I don't, don't want to be tricked by Satan. And Satan would love for us to refuse to forgive one another because this lack of forgiveness manifests itself in so many damaging ways in our church and then out into our community. When we don't forgive one another, our church becomes divided and disunited. We stop being one body, wholly dedicated to glorifying God and making him known in Kirribilli. And so Satan has outwitted us. When we don't forgive one another, we come to church and we look around and there are people here who we see, I'm not going to sit next to that person. And so Satan has outwitted us. When we don't forgive one another, we gossip and slander, talking to other people at church about the ways that other people have wronged us and sinned against us. And Satan has outwitted us. When we don't forgive one another, 
There are people in church who we refuse to serve alongside. We won't help out with the fair trade market if so-and-so is helping out there. We won't join a connect group if someone else is in that connect group. We won't uh, join the welcoming team if there's someone on that welcoming team who has sinned against us or upset us in the past. And so Satan has outwitted us. And when we don't forgive one another, when people visit our church, they see nothing different to the world that is around them. They look out in the world and they say, there is a world that has plenty of things that are unforgivable. And I've walked into a church and I've seen the people of God and there too, There are plenty of things that they cannot forgive. And we make a mockery of our Saviour and what he has done for us on the cross. And so again, Satan has outwitted us. Can you see what happens when we don't forgive? We become divided and disunited and ineffective and inward-looking and self-focused and self-serving. And worst of all, a terrible witness to our Saviour. But let's flip this around onto the positive side. When we do forgive one another, when we are aware of the schemes of Satan and his work amongst us to divide us, we're effectively saying, I know your scheme, Satan, and you cannot trick us. You cannot trick our church. Satan, you want us to be unforgiving, but we refuse to be unforgiving. We're going to forgive. We're going to reconcile to one another. We're not going to keep bringing the sins up that other people have done against us over and over again. We're just going to let them go. That's what you want, Satan. You want us to be divided. But guess what? We're not going to let that happen. Satan, you want this church to look no different to the rest of the world. And boy, doesn't he want that. Doesn't he want people to walk in here and see nothing different, to see no hope, uh, no forgiveness, no love, no joy. But when we forgive one another, we say to Satan, no, no. This is going to be a place that mirrors the grace and the mercy and forgiveness that we have all been shown at the cross. You see what we can do by being forgiving? We can catch Satan out. We can say, I know your schemes and you are not going to get us and our church. This church is going to be different. This church will be a place full of forgiveness. So are we going to do that, church? Are we going to be people who forgive? Let me conclude with two challenges for us. First one is this. Have you sinned against someone at church? And let's face it, we all have. Uh, I'm uh, more than aware of the ways that I've disappointed people and sinned against people. Uh, And I'm sorry. And have you wronged someone? And have you mistreated someone? Will you go and say sorry to them and, and ask for their forgiveness and for their comfort? And secondly, are there people here at church who you are holding a grudge against, people who you have failed to forgive? Or people that you have said that you've forgiven, but deep down your heart you know that you are still harboring bitterness and unforgiveness uh, deep inside. Perhaps that person doesn't even know that you've upset them or sinned against them. Perhaps you just treated them differently and they just, they got no idea. Well, brothers and sisters, will you go to that person tonight and tell them? Would you go and let them know, brother, sister, I've been holding a grudge against you and I haven't been forgiving you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will we be a church that just wants reconciliation, just oozes with forgiveness, that so greatly reflects how much we have been forgiven by our Saviour Jesus?
It's not easy to forgive, and it sure wasn't easy for God to forgive us. So let us look at the cross daily and remind ourselves of what God did to cancel our debt. And there we will find the grace to forgive others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, where would we be without you? Our lives were such a mess before we saw you and our sin convicted us and infected every part of our lives and we could expect nothing from you but wrath and death and utter condemnation. And yet somehow, because you love us, we find forgiveness in Jesus on the cross. We don't deserve it, we couldn't earn it and we're so thankful for it. Heavenly Father, would you please help us uh, to do the hard work of forgiving one another. Lord, you know how hard it is to forgive because you've had to forgive us. Would you please give us grace and power and strength and humility to forgive and offer comfort and reaffirm love to those who have wronged us. We need your, your strength and your help, Father. Would you please give that to us tonight?